0: them this is Dirt to Dollars hosted by your local county extension agents where we talk everything agriculture. Welcome back to this week's edition to Dirt to Dollars. I'm Whitney Carmen. I've got Daniel in LaRue County and Matt in Hardin County. How are you all this morning? hi i I'm good. Hi-o. I guess I should say it's the week of August the 17th. We're, we're recording on the 18th. Man, it's almost, we're almost through August. I know, halfway. it's crazy, it's crazy, but we do, we've got a pretty good episode this week. We've got uh, Dr. Josh McGrath on here in a little while. We're going to chat a little bit about fertilizer and soil health and management, so he's going to be a, a good interview. I'm excited about that.
1: You know, it's weird talking about what day of the month it is and how long all this coronavirus stuff seems like it's taken, but how Like how slow it's going,
2: but then how fast we're getting Mm -hmm. through the year. It feels like that all just started like last week.
0: It it does. But then I see and I think about things that happened like in February and first part of March. And I'm like, that feels like it was 10 years ago. (laughs) So I can't, I cannot gauge my realm, my time realm right now. It's just all messed up, all messed up. But honestly, I will be very happy to say good riddance to 2021. This is all said and done with. Not to wish my time away, but.
1: Yeah, I just hope 2021 is an upgrade. (laughs)
0: Did you see the meme the other day that said we can't, we can't go into 2021 or something about 2021 because that would mean 2021.
1: Oh, like Uh W-O-N-1. Yeah.
0: I thought It ain't winning nothing. Of course. (laughs) it's not winning no awards in my book (laughs) i only get there's only one good thing gonna come out of this year for me so
2: (laughs) so i hope y'all can't hear me scratching over the mic
0: Uh
2: uh-oh okay i uh, got into some (laughs) some turkey mites last week yeah that's that's not good
0: (laughs) i got a little tickled i'm sorry Uh, where's he going with this it drove me
2: nuts for the last week
0: I remember you texting that now, so yes, that's that's no fun at all.
2: So this is kind of the time of year for those, I guess. I think anything biting yes. is mm-hmm. just
1: everywhere right now. Mosquito. all this rain that we had, and then, and then it stopped, so all those puddles were just sitting there and yeah. making good breeding ground for a bunch of mosquitoes. Mm-hmm.
0: Whew. I'll also say I've. <laughs> we were laughing about it because I have a. We have an entomologist specialist that I've emailed at least three or four times in the last week because it seems like now all the insects are coming out in uh-huh. the vegetable gardens and in the crops too. So we're getting a lot of those questions in the office. I've identified a lot of insects this week that
2: I. He's had a busy seen. summer between mm-hmm. bugs like mm-hmm. this and murder hornets and
0: <laughs> Asian longhorn, yeah. longhorn ticks, and all uh-huh. of that. Yep. Yeah.
1: I had a bad combo on my legs, so the bugs and everything and the chiggers have been bad. But I decided I would haul a hundred square bales of, of hay and with shorts on.
3: Rookie, That's not
1: a good idea. <laughs> it was hot. It was uh-huh. hot that day. And I was wearing boots and shorts, and I looked like Stone Cold Steve Austin—blue hey, you know, jean shorts and, wrong my with that. <laughs> and, and my
0: boots. Were they cut off? Please tell head. me they
1: I'd... were cut off. <laughs> they were cut off.
0: So did you have a sunburn along with that as well? All of, all of that combined plus no, sunburn? <laughs> but
1: those my legs were scratched up, and then they scabbed up, and then you know they're dry mm-hmm. and itchy, and so I had that itching going on. this, this mosquito bites
2: and chiggers, yeah.
1: and yeah,
2: I bet I, I... had a hundred and fifty turkey mites on me the other day it was horrible. horrible i guess i went through a nest so
0: well i don't like i don't usually get the bugs i get the poison ivy and all of the those itches and i really
1: think i don't know this isn't scientific but can you build up a little immunity to poison ivy throughout the season because i get it bad early so i don't know if it's like i get
2: immunity to it or I if i just get smarter and like no i'm staying Stay away, away from, from it, it. <laughs> i remember I when i was in high school probably i like got into it some they thought i breathed it in or something like i had it everywhere
0: you had it in your bloodstream yeah thing, probably. systemic and yeah
2: so and like had to be on high dose steroids and all this stuff for a while and like ever since then it's really not bothered me so i i mean i don't go just roll around in it or grab a hold of a vine and pull it out or anything but it's uh i i really don't get yeah. it much after that so maybe there's something to that we had a lot on our farm and then when we got
1: sheep for some reason the sheep love it. They eat poison mm-hmm. ivy like crazy. Mm-hmm. But then when you go to handle the sheep, like even though I won't be in it, I go to grab a sheep and then, and I'm wearing a mm-hmm. short sleeve shirt. And then next thing I know, a couple of days later I'm broke out. It's not a bad breakout, but it's just, you know, they, they well, get into it and it gets mm-hmm. on all over me.
0: Well, and I have, um, we're the same way. We're getting to where we're going to start cutting wood for the winter for our stove and it, inevitably I'll get it from cut wood somewhere mm-hmm. even if the vine is not on there anymore it's
1: you know i'll get it yeah it holds that that whatever makes you itch for a long time your,
0: saw, your saw, is that good it's word called? yes oh. it is
1: where'd you pull that out of
0: <laughs> probably because i've had it so many times <laughs> i've read a lot about it <laughs> so it's been one of those things but yeah we're actually i think we're gonna get some cooler weather this week so that'll be good and i know i know that our own family is cutting hay this week, trying to get some of that done and get some more uh, of that taken care of before it starts to to cool off. Some. Anything else going on as far as um, programming or you know? I know Daniel, you said that I saw a picture. You're doing some sort of little project over in your area with some fertilizer.
1: Yeah, we've got a couple different farmers that are doing a winter stockpiling uh, research plot. So we're looking at different rates of nitrogen um, in the field, and then we're going to go back uh, before we let the cattle out in it in December or so, um, take some samples and see how much biomass we got from that nitrogen and see what kind of forage quality we've got compared
2: so, to nothing. So you are going to take uh, forage samples too and, and check mm-hmm. that? That will be interesting. Yep
0: yeah grass has grown more than this is a perfect year to stockpile because I feel like grass I don't know about you all but my lawns and the yards that we mow are just outrageous as far as the the amount of grass that's out there. yeah we sure. were
2: we were busy and uh, then between all the rain and stuff, I let my yard go like two two and a half weeks oh how did you do that how did you do that Yeah, we're still (laughs) fighting the windrows in the in the yard from the mower (laughs) my goodness
1: i know i clipped uh pasture i don't remember what i was telling y'all two weeks ago i just got finished clipping my pastures and i bet they've grown Mm -hmm. three or four inches Mm -hmm. um
2: in no time and with no added fertilizer i mean they shot up yeah i don't yeah uh don't ever remember having this much grass in August, really. I mean, this time last year, there were a lot of people feeding hay. Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. that's in that crazy how just one year can make that much of a difference? And it is. It's it, it's interesting. I know that I'm ready for it to slow down just a little bit, quite honestly. With, as far as the yard's concerned, i got a pr- pretty significant size yard to mow. And it takes some time.
1: I don't like mowing. And I think I've said this it. before. I don't like it. So, I mean, oh. Matt, I don't blame you. I mean, I I would like to do the same thing. But
0: Now, I'll say this. My husband mows for a living, but that doesn't mean that our yard looks nice because <laughs> <laughs> it's always the last one to get mowed. Well, so we're we, all we fight extension
1: agents. Yeah. We give people recommendations <laughs> on how to grow do a nice yard and do a great <laughs> garden with no issues, but... Uh-huh. We ain't we ain't perfect.
0: Uh-uh. No, and I said sometimes I go, Oh man, if somebody were to come by and see me and know that I'm an extension agent, they'd probably go, Oh, I ain't never gonna listen to her for recommendations. But with that being said, we're all human and we all have lives to live and we know how it is. That's part of it, is we know that, you know, things happen.
2: So you so your our recommendation isn't that your yard's supposed to be all crabgrass and nimble wheel? because that's basically what I Listen, have. Listen, if it wasn't mine, <laughs> mine is crabgrass, broom
1: sage, and, and oil, but it is green. Yeah.
0: Yes, that's right. I have crabgrass, broom sage. In the springtime, mine's purple because him bitten net, dead nettle because it's old pasture. I got all kinds of that. So I have a pretty colorful yard in the spring. And I I mean, I, people try to get the clover out of their yard, and I'm like, nah, I'm not too worried about it. It's green. <laughs> it stays green. Not care- I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it.
1: Can y'all hear my belly rumbling through the microphone? I did not eat <laughs> breakfast this morning. I am starving.
2: <laughs> I hope that's not coming through the microphone.
0: I had my oatmeal like I normally do. I'm on my kick for oatmeal for a while, and then I'll get off of it. So
2: If, the, if they can't hear me scratch, they probably can't hear your <laughs> belly rumbling. <so. laughs>
1: well, talking about mowing, do you all listen to music when you mow?
0: or do you listen to podcast
1: music do you listen to yourself on a podcast (laughs) when you mow no i
0: listen i I listen for quality control when we're before we send it out but as far as you've gotta have i don't like to listen to myself
2: you've gotta have hype music when you're mowing you can't listen to a podcast you can't mow to somebody talking i can sometimes
0: (laughs) i do i do i listen to it because that's when i usually it's like the whole platform of, of a podcast. So you're trying to get some education or information out of it. But a lot of times mine are just comedy type, you know, or they're funny or they're just random podcasts so, or sports.
1: I'd say most of the time I listen to music and I listen to some kind of country station or something. And I, mm-hmm. have y'all heard of this? I, I mean, I should say this. Yeah. You've heard of him, but Morgan Wallen. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you like him?
0: I, I used he, to not. See,
1: see that's what the, It's like the me. response. It's like, eh. It's like, uh, it's growing on me too. He's got some songs that I like. I really like, of course, it's overplayed, but the Whiskey Glasses song. Yes. We mm-hmm. went to Nashville back before lockdown ha- happened. And I'm serious. <laughs> Every time you walked into a, an establishment downtown Nashville, you're going to hear that song within about five minutes of being in there. <laughs> um, and if you stay there too long, you'll hear it again yeah. before you leave. <laughs>
0: No, I think he, um, I, I like him, or I like him now. I used to not, when that song first came out, I did not like it, and it has grown on me in there. And so, you, there. he's got this kind of almost cult following, I guess. And so, evidently, he's, he's kind famous of, on
2: TikTok. Well, I seen I, you seen, I, I for some either. reason, it pops up on mine all the time, and you see like random people in Nashville just taking tiktok Mm -hmm. videos with him like out in a restaurant and he's by himself so apparently he just kind of wanders around nashville like a regular old Mm -hmm. guy that's kind of (laughs) cool yeah Yeah, that's what kind of made me think he's kind of cool but
0: yeah so i don't know he's got a new album out and it's more
2: country than a lot of stuff that's on country radio right now but he also has some stuff that's not so he's done a few songs that are kind of like hip-hop songs yes Yes. but voice in it did you all know? Have you all seen kind of how he got famous? He was on The Voice. I didn't know this until I, I, I saw an article. That. I didn't know that either. I saw an article <laughs> the other day and read it and listened and watched his audition on The Voice. And he auditioned as a pop singer. Really? Wow, didn't know that. Apparently, until from... after The Voice was when he uh, when he's somebody turned him country. Said you need to be a country singer instead of pop sing and
1: then we're talking music more so as i was listening to that on that station a gary allen song popped on
0: yeah Did Gary you all, allen. do
1: y'all like gary allen yeah yeah all Matt? right, yeah, all right. Yeah. i like him i used to like him back i guess when i was in college uh, he had mm-hmm. an album that came out and pretty good like, it was just yeah. you know something to listen it was one of the last albums i remember like buying and listening to i don't mm-hmm. remember doing much after that were I'm just you just sitting out money. there
2: watching airplanes or <laughs>
1: that yeah. was in it they were I taking off was...
2: and flying
1: just <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure out which one i might be on yeah <laughs> might be on. and why <laughs> she, she don't, don't love you anymore, anymore. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh my goodness. Um, but I
1: don't know what it was. He's all his songs are so sad. So like they really are. He's like a just a sad country music singer and just, I don't know. I guess you don't really have those anymore. But that's uh, every single song that was some kind of
0: I will say though that Morgan Morgan Wallen's new song is kind of a, ca- a sad country song. Yeah. It's, but
1: not, not not every song he has. Like, if you listen to Gary Allen's, I mean, I'm not saying that I just sat around and drank, listening to his <laughs> album, but it's like that thing. It's just like you would just sit there and drink and cry, listening <laughs> to his entire album. And he did have, I think he had a real, some bad stuff in his life. I think he like did. lost his wife and some mm-hmm. other stuff. So his, yeah. his music kind of showed yeah. his feelings. Mm-hmm. But it, it was, he just, there was good music, but it was just all sad.
0: Yeah. Yep. I understand that completely.
2: All right. Well, I think we've probably rambled on long enough. Probably need to get back to business, Whitney. Oh, I think... well, let's keep talking about, come on. Uh... we talk about music. <laughs> Whitney, it I, do, do you want to uh, introduce our next guest here?
0: Today we're joined with us, Uh, with Dr. Josh McGrath. He is an associate professor and extension specialist for soil management here at UK and we thought this was a great time to kind of talk with you because we are into getting into that fall. We're getting to harvest and I know folks are thinking about uh, what they're going to be applying to the soil here pretty soon so we're really glad you could join us this
3: morning. Yeah I'm, I'm happy to be here.
0: All right so if you wouldn't mind you're I wouldn't consider you new cause you've been here a few years, but you are, uh, I guess, less than 10 years of, of experience at UK. Can you give us an, a, a kind of a rundown of how you got here and how you got your start in extension?
3: Yeah, sure. Ken, H- how long's the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we do have a limit. so uh,
1: no. <laughs> we,
3: um, Yeah. Uh, so I, I, came to university of Kentucky in 2014, July of 14. So uh, over six years now, I keep saying I just started at UK, but, um, It's time's flown. Uh, So, before that, I guess starting in 2006, I was the soil fertility extension specialist at the University of Maryland and spent a lot of time there working on precision ag uh, type stuff, like I do here. But also, there, I had the Chesapeake Bay uh, nutrient management policy is pretty aggressive in the Chesapeake Bay, as most people are familiar. And I spent the first half of my career uh, focused on water quality and nutrient management and a lot of issues with poultry manure and stuff. But actually, I guess it's kind of a little interesting how I came. I never thought I'd be doing this, or that I'd be have a PhD, or or doing any of this stuff. It just kind of one of those things that luck would have it. As an undergraduate, I uh, I went to undergraduate. I was not an ag student, and I went to Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. Okay. okay. And my degree was uh, pretty much uh, in the Earth and Planetary Sciences Department and uh, Department of of um, Uh, geography and environmental engineering so I had half engineering classes and half geology classes and I got out of school and uh, I packed houses for moving companies (laughs) I taught sailing I was a substitute teacher and I went to work on a farm that DuPont owned and uh, the reason I went to work there was because um, they told me I'd be allowed to hunt there
0: Okay. (laughs) And, uh, it was a, it
3: used to be known as Remington farms and it was Remington's premier hunting farm. And then DuPont took it over, uh, renamed it Chesapeake farms. Of course, DuPont owned Remington at the time. And, uh, I worked there on some research projects and just doing farm work and hunting. And, uh, they came to me after a couple of years and said, would you like to go back to college? And they, uh, they put me into the university of Delaware plant soil sciences program. And, um, my advisor there asked me if I'd like to just stay on and do a PhD. I never got a master's degree, just did a PhD. Huh. And um, then I went down to Virginia tech and I did uh forestry and remote sensing of coal mines. I ground truth, uh, satellite imagery on abandoned coal mines. So I spent a lot of time in Eastern Kentucky over those two years, uh, kind of backpacking across old coal mines and then just kind of wandered my way around. And, uh, and ended up at the University of Maryland and then came here, so.
0: Well, I'd say out of all of our guests, that's probably the most eclectic uh, in a (laughs) wide variety. That's actually really neat.
3: So, I I knew
2: a little bit of that, Josh, but that, was that your first real farm experience or ag experience was working on that farm, or did you have some farm, some agriculture
3: in your background growing up? Yeah, yeah, so I grew up in Smyrna, Delaware, kind of small town, agricultural town. I was, um, uh, my uh, grandfather and, and father were farmers, had a small vegetable okay. farm, real small vegetable farm, truck farmer, sold on Market Street in Wilmington, Delaware. My grandfather did and uh, still had that farm until uh, until my grandfather passed away. Uh, so when I was young, but yeah, so I grew up around farms. We moved to town when I was little and then my grandparents moved in with us. And, uh, but we kept the farm for a little while. Now the farm it was so small, it's almost entirely under Route 1 in Delaware if you ever run through delaware on route one and you pass helen sausage house you're running over top of the old old farm Uh. that's
0: interesting so you've you've been here around six years but you focus a whole lot on soil management here at uk and you're based out of you're out of the lexington area but you have several cohorts across the state and you all do a lot of research and, and work with the extension on that so do you mind to uh give us a couple of updates on what you are uh, working on currently as far
3: as. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, You know, so my main focus of big projects has been precision ag. So Mm -hmm. we've been looking at like how to do variable rate phosphorus uh, for a few years now. Um, And we've got a massive nitrogen study where we're doing split applied starter rates and side dress rates of nitrogen in corn. With cover crops, we're doing that uh, actually with uh, Southern Illinois University, a friend of ours up there, Amir Sajafour and then Edwin Ritchie and John Grove here in Kentucky, and and so we've got several sites, um, you know, with a they're they're really unique, like a thousand plots. One one site has three thousand plots in one site, so they're on farm hmm. with Hot. cooperating farmers. We're always looking for cooperating farmers, as long as we have funding to allow it. So we're using real precision ag equipment to do extremely small scale work across big spaces. So 30 acres of plots, but we use our equipment, we do the planting, we put down the starter and two by two, and then we come back and side dress and we're trying to develop some, uh, some variable rate nitrogen strategies for Kentucky farmers and corn. Uh, last year we got funded by the small grain growers to do some soil testing work. And by the end of this year, we're actually hoping to release some um, tutorial videos online uh, we've been we've kind of tested it out with a few farmers to so where you can watch these videos and takes you from downloading free software all the way through making a zone map. So it'll be you know little short tutorial videos you can follow it on your computer, download your software and just follow it click to click and just shows you how to go from your raw data to zone map. So we're excited to get those out by the end of the year. And this year actually we've done some testing of um, starter fertilizer strategy. So one company has a pause so. So most people have taken two by two off of their corn planters where you put the fertilizer, liquid fertilizer offset by the, from the corn row, just because with bigger planters and faster planting speeds, they don't like having all that liquid and all that extra steel on there. Now, I think two by two is like the best way to go, but I understand the practical aspect of it. And so a lot of people are doing in furrow. And in my opinion, in furrow, you're not actually getting enough nutrients to make much of a def- difference. Um, and inferral has its own challenges. It can delay emergence, even when you're using a low salt product and at reasonable rates, you can really delay emergence with an inferior product. But there's some machinery out there, some equipment that pulses that fertilizer. So you can pick where it goes relative to the seal. So you can shoot that, let's say, six gallons per acre, pulsed in between the seeds. And that's available on the market now. But there actually hasn't been any agronomic studies on it yet. I was surprised it's been out for a few years but there's not a lot of agronomic research. It was kind of all engineering research. And so we got a little bit of funding and got trials out for the first year this year, looking at spacing and rate and pulsing that fertilizer in-furrow between the seeds.
2: That just sounds like a nightmare to me to time all that. <laughs> <laughs> Something gets off a little bit. Yeah, it can be.
3: So, so calibrating is important. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually, it's it's an, so because it's kind of almost old technology, it's interesting that, you um, that you know, they that there's not really anything per se that's proprietary, except for what you're saying. The equation it's kind of interesting. The equation that times it, so it's reading your seed meter. So your seed meter has to be right. Mm. When that seed meter sends a signal that seed is dropped, it's triggering that pulse. And there's an equation based on density of the liquid and everything. But what we did find is, I mean, the engineering on it has been. We have not had a problem at all with it the timing of that pulse because once you calibrate it to the density of whichever fertilizer product and we use three different liquid fertilizers we tried through it um it's it's pretty amazing how quickly it reacts and so it's just a um it's just like pulse width modulation it's just a solenoid valve that just pop 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 pops and it's triggered by that seed drop so it's pretty pretty interesting technology but i'm interested to see the agronomics of it can we one thing, could we, could we possibly cut fertilizer, starter fertilizer rates way back? And because you're right. concentrating it in a shot, see the way phosphorus works is the more fertilizer you put in one spot, the higher efficiency you get because you're not contacting a lot of soil particles with that fertilizer. And, of course, soil ties up phosphorus. Right. And so by concentrating it in that shot, I'm curious to see if we can cut rates back because we can overcome that soil sorbing that phosphorus by putting in a real concentrated little pause. Mm-hmm.
2: So you mentioned the two-by-two deal. uh, We're kind of seeing the opposite in this area, I think. I've got more people putting two-by-two on the planters that hadn't previously ran it. What are some some benefits you see and what are kind of some tips and tricks, I guess, on using two-by-two that you've seen in your research?
3: I have seen the same trend and I'm happy to see it because a while back some buddies of mine, we used to always talk and we'd say, you know, it was, we were going backwards, taking two by two off. And I think some of these, uh, what's it called? Um, uh, I can't think of the brand name of it, but it doesn't matter where they're hiding it kind of. So there's not these big extra right. callers, but the, I think concealer, or something yeah, It's called yep. stuff like that, two by two by two, which I don't know if putting it on both sides really makes a difference. I don't think it does. It's, it's really just a question of rate and, and uh, soil contact, but. I think two by two makes a lot of sense, particularly for phosphorus. So the first thing to think about with starter is soil tests still matters. Like you're yeah. not going to get a yield advantage from two by two if you weren't going to get a yield advantage from broadcast fertilizer. Like I don't care if you broadcast your fertilizer, or put it in two by two, you still have to ha- have a need there right? for you to get money back on that. So that's the first thing. Like if you, didn't, if you weren't getting yield response to phosphorus and your soil test doesn't indicate you need it, then just going to two by two is not going to help you. You, you have to have the need. But what putting it in that two by two furrow or offset from the furrow is, again, you're concentrating that phosphorus and you're overcoming the soil absorption. And so you can actually cut rate. Now we don't have really good guidance on that, but bandit phosphorus, generally, I think people think you can go to about a half rate and get the same impact because when you broadcast phosphorus, most of what you're applying 80, 85% of it gets tied up by the soil. Whereas when you put it in that two by two, the, the, The concentrated band and, to some extent, the proximity to the seed uh, allows it to overcome that. Now, from a nitrogen standpoint, it's super efficient, especially with the wet springs we've been having. Mm -hmm. And with Mm -hmm. cover crops and no-till, getting that nitrogen under that residue makes a difference. And you're not paying as steep a carbon penalty. And so, like, with our big nitrogen study, our on-farm nitrogen study, what we've seen with cover crops is, there is a carbon penalty from a cereal cover crop. If I have rye or wheat as a cover crop, I pay a penalty. But if I put a little bit more nitrogen up front, and we've done everything in two by two, so we haven't compared it until this year to broadcast. This year, we actually modified our planner so we could do it in a single pass, And we put a broadcast rig on the back of our planner, and we're <laughs> using precision technology to switch the different fertilizer on and off. So we can go to two by two, or go over the surface, and that way we'll have a direct comparison of over the surface nitrogen to two by two nitrogen. And so in our plots, it's going this year we'll have that over the top. But over the last few years we've had just two by two starter, and we're going from zero to 100 pounds per acre of nitrogen. And then we have over top at each one of those starter rates seven to nine side dress rates. So we actually end up with let's say if we have five starter rates and nine side dress rates, we have 45 nitrogen rates in that study. And we do it with the starter and without. So we know exactly how many bushels we got from the starter. And of course, we get a big yield response by having that up front. But by having just 35 to 50 pounds of nitrogen in the two by two, we can make it to V10 or later with side dress. So what that allows you to do is split up that nitrogen, which is more efficient. The starter two by two has put it below the surface and got it out of that residue. Okay. And... Then you can sit back and watch the crop and watch the weather and make an intelligent decision when you put most of your nitrogen down. So maybe I'm putting 200 pounds of nitrogen down. I've got 50 out there, it's gonna get me to V10 easy. And then I've got 150 that at V10 was gonna be my plan, but I can adjust up or down based on what I saw. If I think I've got some higher yield potential, maybe I'm gonna adjust up a little bit. If it's just been a flat out drought and I've lost 100 bushels of corn already by that time period, then I'm gonna cut my nitrogen back because I don't need it. My yield potential has come down. Um, so that's the one thing. The other thing is, a lot of people tend to focus on micronutrients and stuff in, in two by two. I think we see a lot of these packages. You don't, if you're going off furrow, you do not need the expensive low salt stuff. Keep your total nitrogen and potassium below 100 pounds per acre in a heavy soil. In a little bit lighter textured, coarser textured soil, keep it under 75 pounds per acre. Total nitrogen and K2O. Add those two numbers together and you're going to be okay. You don't have to go to the expensive stuff. Um, And it's a good place because micronutrients we need so little. It's a good place to put it. If you need it, the problem is we have a lot of trouble determining where we need that micronutrient package. Mm -hmm. Because our soil tests, to be quite honest, were never designed for micronutrients because it was kind of, you know, uh, the run of the litter. We kind of gave it not much attention when we are developing <laughs> soil test. So you kind of have to know your crop and know whether or not you have a, have a predisposition to some of these micro deficiencies that we do see. Now I don't recommend boron in starter. That's the one caveat. I would not put that two by two. There's some products that just, they're going to inhibit germination. They can cause problems. Um, you don't want UANs. Okay. in two by two, again, you got to keep it under a hundred pounds per acre for sure. I'd like to keep the UAN down to, uh, you know, 30 gallons or something like that so um but but uh most everything else is going to be pretty okay in that in that two by two
2: well and i know on the uh, uan is what a lot of of my guys are running and uh, i know that that they don't want to go at a super high rate because they don't want to have to be stopping and filling a tank
3: yeah uh, more yes. often
2: than they have to stop and fill the planters though that's that, that was that's kind of the limitation. limitation
3: yep that, that's why a lot of people got away from two by two really is because on average with an average starter rate uh, most planters you tend to be filling the tank about five times for every time you fill up the seed yeah and and that's that's a problem from a field efficiency standpoint uh especially with our limited time to plant our our planting window has gotten shorter i mean we see that in the weather data um I think with bigger, faster planners, uh, that helps us a lot, but you still, uh, you know, if you're, I always say farming is about 99.9% logistics and 0.1% agronomy and soil science. <laughs> so, so what I do is not, important. what I do is is just absolutely not important because anybody can farm, just take book values for nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, and soil fertility is easy, just over a block. Mm -hmm. nutrients are cheap right like (laughs) I know I'm not supposed to say that (laughs) but I truly believe that Um, it's the business side that's Mm -hmm. hard it's the logistics how do I get five tractor trailers of UAN for every tractor trailer of seed to the field how do I get this driver back to the truck to bring me UAN who just brought me seed and I gotta get somebody on the planter and it's the logistics that are tough it's not the agronomy
0: Uh, there's some truth to that I can see that for sure (laughs) Well, and, and, getting back to just the basics of it for, for a minute, you know, what, as far as soil sampling, cause like you said, I mean, that is a, that's a very logistical part of this, you know, what are two or three important things you, that you want to tell people as far as when to soil sample, what, what's your opinion on the best time to do that and you know, some important things to remember when you're doing it on the farm.
3: For soil sampling, I'm going to tell everyone exactly what they don't want to hear. <laughs> um, everybody's soil samples in the spring kind of last minute, and that doesn't give you enough time to make adjustments. Mm-hmm. It's wet in the spring, and so you get pushback, back. This spring, talking to my friends that run soil testing labs, they got dumped on samples late, you know, and then everyone wants the results right away. Right now in the fall, as the crop comes off, is the time to soil sample. But, you know, humans being humans, we, you know, we wait till the last minute to do our homework. And, uh, you know, the morning it's due is when we're doing our homework. And so, uh, but, but as that crop comes off, that's the best time to get your soil samples. And, and the other advantage is right now, uh, the soils are drier, mm-hmm. and that's better for soil sampling, right? You don't want a wet soil sample sitting in a bag on the dashboard of your truck until it goes to the lab. Mm-hmm. Um, so the soils are drier. Uh, now is the time to collect those samples. But we see, we tend to want to apply fall nutrients as as the harvest is coming in so usually we're running a spreader simultaneously with the combine right Mm -hmm. so we're shelling corn and spreading fertilizer at the same time and really we need to delay that fertilizer and get our soil samples in first Mm -hmm. um so so timing that's the thing second thing is is um the basics i spend a lot of time talking about precision ag but Mm -hmm. um realistically the basics are more important soil sample depth Mm -hmm. is critical Mm -hmm. If you're no-till, we recommend four inches in Kentucky, Mm -hmm. Um, and a tilled sample is six inches, right? And Mm so, um, you know, and that's not because that's the rooting depth. That's not because that's the depth the nutrients act at. That's just the depth that that result was calibrated to. Our recommendation in no-till was calibrated against a four-inch sample. We could have done it against a five-inch sample, a 12-inch sample, or a two-inch sample, but four is what the people that calibrated that recommendation for it did. So that's, that's what that is. So depth, you know, timing and getting, you know, if you're doing a conventional average sample, you know, uh, you need a lot of soil cores per sample. Mm-hmm. A lot more than you think, 20 is the recommendation. Uh, UK recommendation says 10 just because I think the people that wrote the publications didn't want to aggravate anybody <laughs> <laughs> but, but the real number is 20 and yeah. uh, more is better is always the answer mm-hmm. right and, yeah. and then when we do so I'm doing a grid sample study right
0: mm-hmm.
3: and we're, we're sampling at a quarter acre grid so that's that's about 60 some feet between samples 20 meters and when you mm-hmm. do a two and a half acre grid that's a hundred meter separation between samples So 20 meters versus 100 meters. Mm -hmm. A two and a half acre grid actually, and I won't get into this too in depth, but we interpolate that to make our map. And interpolation doesn't work at that scale. We have found that the field average is actually better than an interpolated two and a half acre grid. So what does that two and a half acre grid actually give us? Well, if we don't interpolate it and make the map, it actually, we tend to cover the field better. Mm -hmm. And so you could just go, And do like a grid sample and just throw all the samples in one bucket. You're actually doing a better job than interpolating that grid. Now, if you collect the grid and don't interpolate, it gives you a lot of information about kind of the highest number of the field, the lowest number, what the average is. Mm -hmm. So that's that's good. That's useful. Um, So, you know, getting really good coverage of the field, like zigzagging across that zone. I like doing zones by topography and soil type. Uh, those tend to be the factors that control nutrient availability. So if you can make a map based off of slope and elevation and and soil texture, uh, that can really help you a lot. And then sample those zones really intensively, it hit it a lot. So those those are kind of basics of soil testing.
0: Yeah, those uh, those are good good points. Ones that so you know.
2: So I want to go back to depth a little bit because I feel like that's something that I'm not going to say we've lacked in extension talking about but it just seems like we haven't made that as an as important as it should be or as it really is how, how much do you think you're off if you know you're out here pulling a soil sample and one's at two inches and one's at six and i how important is it to hit that exact four inches every time
3: man it, it is that's that's probably the most important thing that the person collecting the sample can do other than covering the field adequately not just going mm-hmm. to the point closest to the road and taking 10 samples right next to the road. But but that aside, depth is the next most important thing. And uh, actually, Edwin has some good data on this that he's kind of accumulated from a couple of fields out there. And I can't remember the exact numbers, but your recommendations actually change quite a bit with an inch difference. What we do with our hand probes, now we're using an automatic probe, which actually we want to do a little evaluation because that automatic probe with the gator tilt, because it's a hydraulic probe, we actually think that we're probably, because ours is mounted on the side, not, not center mass. So you get a little tilt, and we're wondering how mm-hmm. effective we are getting a good depth with that probe. But with a hand probe, we actually take a biscuit, like you would put on your air hose in the shop to keep it from going up in the ceiling, mm-hmm. and we bolt that on our probe. And then we put a mark above that biscuit because it does slide up. Mm-hmm. And that way we know if our biscuit's moving on us, because from our perspective, that's the most important thing in having a quality number. I mean a half inch will change your recommendation. Like it will change the pounds per acre that we're recommending.
0: I guess I just didn't realize that. Yeah. I mean
2: I've I've never thought of the biscuit idea. I've always put a taken a Sharpie or a, <laughs> or a, a paint pen or something yep. and, and mark, mark it around on there it there to make uh, sure. But then sit. then it wears off. Yeah, I, I mean, didn't have any breakfast,
3: and now I want a biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hungry. You, I mean, when you've got kids pulling soil samples for you like we do, we yeah. want to make sure that they understand the importance of that depth. Yeah. It makes it a little bit challenging to knock the sample out, so we actually take a fiberglass electric fence pole and wrap a handle around it with tapes to not to push poke that sample out. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, yeah, we, wow. we put that biscuit on there because that just forces everybody on the sample team to pull the same depth.
1: All right. So I got a little bit of a question. So we were talking about, we talked about nitrogen earlier and we all know nitrogen, we put it down. It's it's readily available pretty quick, um, which is why we put it down in season. We're talking about soil sampling and doing soil samples in the fall, you know, we're going to get our phosphorus and potassium recommendations. Is the fall a good time to apply those nutrients and how long does it take those nutrients to be available to the plants?
3: Yes. So, in one sense, I don't have a problem with putting potash and phosphorus down in the fall. And mm-hmm. in fact, if you're growing hay, I mean, I've been focusing on grain crops because that's normally where my mind goes, right? Mm-hmm. But if we talk yeah. about pasture and hay, fall is a great time to get your potash out because mm-hmm. first of all, it kind of t- kind of limits the luxury consumption. If you need a lot of potassium, you're still a test calls for a lot of potassium, you put it down in the spring on a on a hay crop you're going to be taking all that potassium off of your first cutting because there's more luxury consumption in the spring than there is in the fall. Second of all, potassium is very important for winter hardiness. Mm-hmm. And so it's an important nutrient to have out there over the winter for those crops. Phosphorus, the longer it's in the field, the tighter it bonds to the soil. So there is a time component to phosphorus availability, but again, generally I'm fine with it going down the fall because we know that when we surface broadcast phosphorus, most of it's going to sorb to the soil. And in fact, what it tends to do is actually go into kind of soil phosphorus pools and then it's just that total soil phosphorus that then supplies the crop. So it it might actually be, if we actually track that phosphorus molecule from your fertilizer, that it goes to the soil, kind of knocks the phosphorus off the soil and then goes to the crop next year. Kind of think about it in a basic sense. So I'm not too worried mm-hmm. about that. Nitrogen and this... Biggest problem I see in Kentucky with nitrogen is fall application of poultry litter. You are getting zero nitrogen out of fall apply poultry litter. You can't bank on an ounce of that nitrogen. It's mm-hmm. a waste of money. And all your value, if you're buying poultry litter, all of your value is tied up in the nitrogen. And so folks go, well, I apply in the fall and it helps my soil health. Baloney. Tell me how much your soil health's worth. Baloney. I mean, we got to stop talking about
1: food. <laughs>
3: <laughs> now you want baloney and biscuit sandwich. sandwich? Yeah, <laughs> Though, I mean, so nitrogen, if it's in, if you put it down in the fall for a spring crop, um, you can't bank on it. Yeah, some may be there, but in our soils, most of it's gone. And this is a big problem that I saw when the industry almost completely shifted to mapping that. So remember triple superphosphate and how it disappeared overnight? And there were a lot of economic reasons at the fertilizer manufacturer side that caused that. Triple super just disappeared. One is... One small reason is that because they're mixing the value of the nitrogen and the phosphorus in that product, they can charge a little bit more money for each because it's, right. a, it's considered a value-added product because you're getting both nitrogen and phosphorus in the same product. However, I would say a large – I know we're not putting down a lot of nitrogen when we put MAP or DAP out, but you're putting some out, and you're not getting that value. Mm-hmm. It's most likely – even if you have a cover crop, you're most likely not getting most of that nitrogen value back. And so you spent money you're not getting back. So the first thing I would say, and I've heard the industry may be moving back towards triple super phosphate in some segments, is that if you really want to do fall application, uh, uh, something like triple super is better because you're not wasting money on nitrogen. And again, it all comes down to dollars breaker. You look at your soil test recommendation, how many pounds of phosphorus do I need? And of all my products available to me, what's my dollars breaker to get that many pounds of P2O5 in the field? I don't care really how you get it there it's dollars per acre and i need 60 pounds of p 20 5 so i'm not too worried about it definitely with phosphorus i get it closer to the springtime um, i get a i get a benefit and and back to the two by two question if i really need phosphorus i know two by two is my most sure way to get the response that i want now liquid phosphorus products a pound of p205 are a lot more expensive than any dry products so you got to pencil that out and you gotta say can i cut my rate maybe 50 percent below recommendation and go with the two by two that's a little gray area because our recommendation is our recommendation we don't recommend cutting just because you're going to two by two but we do know there's a benefit and you can cut some and it might be something you kind of have to experiment with until we come up with better numbers but phosphorus and nitrogen uh phosphorus should get some benefit going closer to planting nitrogen you absolutely have to do it as close to uptake time as possible because it's so mobile. Same with sulfur. Sulfur's mobile too. Um, Potassium in the fall, I have no problem with. At phosphorus, I don't really have a problem with, but recognize you're losing some money on that nitrogen component and mapping that.
2: Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we've covered a lot of ground here today, Josh. I think we're just about out of time. So uh, I'd like to thank you for coming on. Uh, A lot of our listeners here follow people on Twitter. Where can can you be found there?
3: I'm at npk underscore professor so nitrogen and phosphorus potassium underscore professor man i had a great time i thank you all for having me with me matt dan uh i had a great time so thank you
0: well anytime and like we said we're really appreciative of all the help you uh, do for us in extension
3: yeah i hope someday we get to see each other in person i know know. all right Uh, uh, thanks josh all right thank you see ya
0: see
3: ya thanks
1: some of this talk about poultry litter reminded me, I need to confess, I told y'all I would never do this, but I'm thinking about getting chickens.
0: Hey.
2: Uh-oh. And if y'all remember, I swore I was not getting chickens. Yeah, I swore I'd never have sheep, too. So. That's usually the compromise of you're going to get chickens.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, we, we go through a lot of eggs, and, and I was like, and we've been, the last couple of weeks, we've ran out of eggs. Of course, we've got a dollar store really close to us now, like everybody in the world does. Yeah. And uh, uh, so it wasn't that big a deal, but I was back in the lockdown and, you know, there was no eggs. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea to have some chickens.
0: Yeah.
2: It's a trap. They're not yeah. cheaper. Don't I was don't get I that was going to say, I know they're not <laughs> cheaper. Pencil. We've got a whole, I bet we've got $10 a dozen in our eggs. Oh, man. I don't know if I can do that then. Yeah. It's well.
0: Well, it depends on your maintenance. Molly might have, you know, she might do pretty good maintenance to to the chickens. And then you might have some that are just free range, you know. Do you
1: have a chicken tractor?
2: No. Oh, okay. We've got a coop and electric netting, like poultry netting. You know what a chicken tractor is? Yes, I know what a chicken tractor is, where you move it. You just don't want to move it? No. I like to move it, move it.
1: (laughs) I'm just kidding. I was looking at a a chicken tractor thing, but I don't Mm -hmm. know. We're still...
0: Hey, I'll send that idea try it and see. Yeah, you, you can always. I don't like
1: to. I don't like ten dollars
2: a dozen eggs. I, but I
0: people will. And people if will you pay put your
2: eggs. if you put your time in moving the chicken tractor, it'll probably take it up to twelve dollars. Oh dozen. my gosh! I
1: got I'm I'm expensive time. I mean, yep. I figured $25, 30 dollars an hour on my time. <laughs> just kidding.
0: Well, you all have fun with that because I think I'll just keep. I'll just find my friends. So, like you all that can get yeah, me eggs that like I, I need.
2: I need some
1: eggs.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I think it was Sunday. I was out at the barn doing some stuff, and it was about supper time for our little girl. And all of a sudden, I hear something. And I look up and. My daughter's in the stroller sitting in the yard. My wife is chasing a chicken across the yard.
0: <laughs> Did you have chicken for
2: supper? <laughs> uh, apparently they were sitting there eating supper and my little <laughs> girl looks out the window and says, "Uh Oh, and there's a chicken and right behind our house. So they went out to wrangle it up and it was pretty feisty mm-hmm. and, uh, Molly couldn't catch it by herself. So I went up and we kind of corralled it around the against the fence and got it caught and threw it back over the wire. But, Sounds yeah, like God. sheep.
1: I might be pretty yeah. good at this chicken farming. I
0: was going to say I have na- my neighbors and then my husband's aunt lives just right down the road too. They all have chickens and they let theirs out every afternoon and you know they they know when that, to go in and when to come out, and that's you know they don't usually have any trouble with them.
2: That was one stipulation about us having chickens. I was not going to have chicken poop all over Everywhere. the yard and chickens all in my barn and on equipment and everything. Mm-hmm. So that was a stipulation that if we got the chickens, they had to be contained.
0: I said the same thing about <laughs> the cats that I have two cats and I need to get rid of them because they're they're starting to. We don't have no cats. I don't want them. One barn cat. They just showed up. So you know, and then my kids now like them, so it's like I can't just you know take them to the shelter or give them to somebody that want that really does want a cat because now they're attached
1: My so, in-laws who live right down the road, they got a kitty, so my my kids have been getting their kitty fix over there, so hopefully um, we don't have to get one.
2: Mm,
0: well, I have one if you need it?
2: no, no, no I'm good, <laughs> good. so do that do your kids call it a kitty? My daughter, my daughter calls cats meow meows. We're mm-hmm. in the stage where we call things what the they say. That yeah. they mm-hmm. So we have nay nays or horses, and meow meows or cats. Cows are, cows? Cows, cows are still cows. Cows are cows. cows are still cows. Yeah,
0: that well, the cows are easy to say too, but our our kids, we have scratch and shadow and. I'm, I'm, I put sticky traps on the on the window sill the other day. Oh
1: yeah, I remember oh, that, I, that cat hanging on your window. Now <laughs> yeah. the picture you showed us. Yeah. hanging on the
0: uh,
1: s- window like, screen. I'm, I'm,
0: and I have a screened-in back porch, so you all can only imagine the war that I am waging with this silly cat. And I he's not. <laughs> we I don't call him Scratch, but the kids call him Scratch. I, he's he. I've called him several different names the last couple of weeks. <laughs> uh, but the but the black cat Shadow, he just showed up, and he is great like he doesn't bother anything he stays under the the porch under the you know doesn't yeah comes out for food and we'll come let you pet on him a minute then he's on his own a good farm cat
1: is a good cat but a bad one is a bad Mm -hmm. one and they don't normally Mm -hmm. make it very long (laughs) around a lot of places Uh, (laughs) anyway i think that's enough rambling uh this week yeah Uh, i guess y'all have a good week and we'll see you next week same time same place same station same podcast that's a lot
2: of the same all right see you next week
0: (laughs) yeah we'll see you guys next week
2: then
3: yep see ya